Good morning. It's good to be together this morning. Thank you, Lord, for another opportunity to gather and worship Him, right? Yes. I was thinking uh, last night, Sim Fairbanks coming home, and uh, uh, how all the promises of God in Him says that they are yea and amen. He, got, he will always fulfill His promises to His people. Um, not always according to our plans, but always according to his plans. And they're always going to benefit his plan. And uh, if we're wanting to walk in his plan, that's good news for us. So we're thankful for that. Thankful that he's looking out for us. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your leading. I ask you to speak to us today, Lord. Lord, that you would meet us, we open our hearts, open our ears, Lord, and we receive from you today. Amen. Let's gather.
I guess if you were speaking about believing something or not believing something you would probably just be talking about your sober assessment of the situation you know 
And so it, it would sort of be hard to attribute you know, being saved or condemned based on your beliefs. You could be misinformed or you know, misunderstand something, but you wouldn't normally think of it as being that significant. And yet, the scripture is pretty clear you know, that it says, with the heart, man believes unto salvation. And uh, with the mouth, we, we make confession. And a few years ago, I think maybe it was the first time he came here, actually, uh, John Cheever said something that has stuck with me, and I wrote it down. He said that the natural man can't properly adjudicate a spiritual work because all that is available to him is his experience and his understanding, and our experience is a liar. And I thought, isn't there's something to that. Um, you know, the reason why the scripture is so insistent on our belief is not just because it's trying to discourage us from having discernment in, about the situations that we see around us and, and to come up with irrational things or something like that. The reason why the Bible was so insistent, why the Lord speaks so often about the significance of our trust and our belief is the question of who's in charge of your reckoning. You know, it says uh, Abraham in Hebrews 11, we don't have to turn there, but it says that Abraham accounted that God was even able to raise Isaac. You know, that's a pretty strong weld of trust. Um, and I think the question is not just do I have the right opinions or the right conclusions about things. Um, I don't know how important those are to the Lord. It does say if, if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God will, you know, reveal this to you. And I think that's a tremendous mercy of the Lord. If you look at the diversity of doctrines in all of God's people, uh, you know, if each of those doctrines was so significant, being correct on every point, um, you know, the elect would truly be very few, for there is a great diversity <laughs> in the things that we believe, you know, or hold to believe to be true in our opinions. But I think the most important thing is do you and I submit our reckoning to the power of the Holy Spirit? Um, I've been thinking a lot about the wanderings and travelings of the children of Israel in the wilderness. It has seemed very poignant and in parallel, uh, perhaps, with what the Lord is doing with his people now. I don't know necessarily that it is just about what is happening here. I think just universally... There's a sense, I get, that, that any group of people that the Lord is dealing with, there's a sense that there is a, a waiting uh, for the promise to be fulfilled or a, a waiting um, that God, you know, there are good things that the Lord has brought us through. There's certainly been miraculous provision, but there's also a sense of impermanence, I gather, um, a sense of being a pilgrim of not totally belonging, um, that we're still waiting for the Lord to do something. Um, and I think that that's probably true all over the body of Christ. Um, you know, any gathering together of God's people is in some ways uh, a multi-generational project of trying to walk in obedience, being drawn by the Spirit and walking in obedience to a calling that the Lord has made real to you. And, you know, there's a lot of things that it says in the New Testament about the children of Israel and their wandering. 1 Corinthians 10, you don't have to turn there, but you can if you like. It really gets after them pretty roughly. The New Testament authors were not, they did not mince any words. 
discussing what was happening. I'll just start in verse 1, maybe. He says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did eat the same spiritual meat, did drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But it says, With many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted, neither be idolaters, uh, neither commit fornication, don't tempt Christ, so forth, uh, don't murmur. But it says all of these things happen to them for in samples, and they're written for our admonition. So like all of these things that happened, you know, didn't just happen to those people. Uh, even though all of those people were individuals and they all got up, uh, I was at Chitna last week, and I was, you know, thinking, what if we had to strike camp and make camp every day? I mean, it takes us a little bit to get all tuned up and get the tents correct or whatever. We have tents with nice poles that all click together and all of that stuff. It would be a serious business taking a couple million people across a desert waste. Um, genuinely a, a miraculous provision um, for all that to happen and nothing to wear out and you know, for a sufficient manna to always be there and, and all of that. And, uh, and I think while they were kind of out in the wilderness, they were making the tabernacle out of you know, badger skins and things. It's just hard to even fathom. But I get this sense that all of those, you know, there was the gainsayings and the complainings and the murmurings and everything. But like in a sense, those were like flea bites to the enmity that was caused by just total unbelief. And in, in Hebrews 3, it basically says the whole generation was not able to enter in because of unbelief. You know, like all of these other sins and things that beset you and ways that you can make a hash out of your life or whatever, like they just all seem to pale in comparison to the breach that is caused when I fail to recognize the power of God that could operate to have a viable, perfected work in me, which is actually in some ways the hardest thing to believe. Like I can believe a lot of different things. I've seen God you know, provide miraculously and heal people and do these, this thing and that thing and you know, the right person finally miraculously pops up who can do what you need to be done at the right time. And all you know, the Lord provides a lot of different things for a lot of different needs. But there's such a dossier that we can have, especially the way that we live together, of just how is it possible that the Lord is going to bring us into perfect conformity with his life and that we would actually, you know, it just, it's just hard to even imagine, you know, I like C.S. Lewis, I think, in Mere Christianity, he has a quote kind of talking about what it would be like to live with people who are truly holy, you know, and he says, um, you know, in that, in that land, you know, they wouldn't speak of, of rules and, and laws except as kind of a joke because every person would be filled so full of goodness as a mirror is full of light, you know, a perfect reflection. Um, and I like the illustration, he says, but that's kind of looking over the rim of the world, you know. None of us can really see very far into what it would be like. And yet, it does seem to be an indication that our belief or our trust that the Lord could perform that kind of a work in us is absolutely critical. Um, maybe I'll just look in Hebrews 3. I mean, it's incredibly strongly worded. 
he actually calls it the provocation. Uh, in three, Hebrews 3, 8, he says, Harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. In the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works for 40 years. And it says, Wherefore, I was grieved at that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. And I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. And, but in verse 12, he says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And, you know, that really is the, the crux of the whole matter. And I was thinking, um, we'll quote C.S. Lewis one more time, maybe two more times. Um, I've been reading a little bit of mere Christianity, and I, I sometimes find it instructive. Um, but he's, he's talking about pride. Uh, and he says, you know, there could be fellowship in good company among drunken people or unchaste people. But he said, pride is always enmity. Yeah. And isn't that that truth? Everywhere that pride is, is division. There absolutely cannot be a coming together of people. Uh, and it splits us most profoundly between ourselves and God. When I hold to my judgment in pride, um, God calls that a temptation of himself, you know, like you were, as if you were testing him. You know, despite all of these miraculous provisions, despite the fact that you can do all these things, I really don't know that you will do the final step and bring us into, a, into the promised land. And the, for me to, to be welded to that idea is not a, a small caliber issue to God. You know, he says the whole generation is disqualified from that. And, you know, it would be a horrible thing to go through all of the, the labors, you know, of going through the wilderness and pitching camp and taking the camp out and harvesting the manna and, you know, all the paraphernalia of the tabernacle and hauling everything around and doing all of those things, but not really get to be able to participate in the end of all of those things. And I don't suppose that it would be impossible for those of us that all of these stories are written for our admonishment and admonition and to be examples unto us and you know maybe I could do the same thing there's all manner of work to be done and, and so forth if you you know look at this place it's you know there's programs and kitchens making food and businesses making money and taking care of children and teaching and all of these different things stacked on top but at the, the bottom the fundamental I hope is that we're trying to walk in obedience to the calling of what the Lord has uniquely drawn us to be doing. Um, and, you know, it says that we are, we are being built into a spiritual house, a dwelling place for the Lord. And that's a pretty serious end for all of those things. You know, to get up in the day and go fix a truck or sell a drill or do whatever it is you're doing. You know, sell four-wheelers, you know, make food, you know, it is a small contribution in comparison to what the Lord is ultimately working on, you know, to join souls to himself. Uh, if you want to look in Romans 7, I think. I don't know if any of you have had the experience of looking at some notes and not knowing who wrote them. There's no particular reason I bring that up, but... Yeah, and Romans 7 is a good, I think it's a great picture, and a terrible picture in some ways, of just the conundrum that we're in. Maybe I'll start in uh, verse 17. It says, Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. 
For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would do, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but the sin that dwelleth in me. And I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law in my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. <laughs> o wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? <laughs> and he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And isn't that, you know, isn't that true that the Lord will maybe bring something to your attention, you will read something or you'll hear something or you'll have a wonderful worship service or something and you, you get a glimpse of what the Lord is doing and yet you just find that you are totally bankrupt to perform all of the things that the Lord has made real to you. Um, just what we have is just incommensurate to the need. You know, uh, Apparently in the 1920s, during the beginning of the Depression in the United States, the African country of Cameroon sent an aid package over, and the value of it was $3.17 American. Um, you know, and it's just, it's a great picture. You know, the best of intentions, but just what we have is not commensurate to the need. And uh, <laughs> unless the Lord is, uh, I like the, the story, well, I think it's in, I should find it. He's talking about, I think Paul is talking about uh, Elisha or Elijah when he is being chased after having killed the prophets of Baal. And it says, Elijah is making intercession against the people of Israel. And what the Lord says is, I have reserved unto myself 7,000, you know. And isn't that, if there's any way to transcend that cycle of just the war in your members, just the, the constant, the conflict of, of seeing something that's, that you feel the Lord has genuinely made real to you and yet having absolutely no capacity, you know, to actually go out and do it. If we are ever to be saved from that, it will be because the Lord is reserving us, you know, unto himself. And, you know, <laughs> Lord, I hope that is the, the truth. Lord, keep us. <laughs> because there's so many things that are just greater than we are that absolutely we, we just are no match against. Our reason, you know, can't fathom them, you know. Um, unless the Lord is holding us in trust, we will get spun off into some other thing. Um, maybe I'll just read it because I like the, the scripture. It's in Romans 11. And he's saying, God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. And he says, Wot not, what ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thy altars, and I am left alone and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. And even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And he goes down, and actually maybe I'll read a little bit um, further down in the chapter, because I love the, the illustration. He's, he's talking about the wild olive tree. And, you know, he says, well, if some of the branches were broken off, he's talking about natural Israel. And thou, being a wild olive tree, wert grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree. 
He says, boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. And I think that's the matter of trust, is just knowing, knowing where the source comes from, you know. If the source of our judgment is coming from the Holy Spirit, then we'll judge rightly. You know, Jesus said, I judge rightly because I seek not my own, you know. And I think that's the right, the right response to have. And I like down in verse 21, well, let's go to verse 20. He says, because of unbelief, they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest also he spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, and otherwise thou also shall be cut off. And I like this. And if they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. You know, and uh, I may have mentioned this the last time I was sharing, but I love that scripture in Peter where he says, you know, you have been sheep who went astray, and yet now have you returned to the shepherd and the bishop of your soul. And, you know, it's a good thing that there's an opportunity today to get out of the cycle of unbelief, you know. Um, so actually, it says, I think in the, in somewhere in Romans, it says he has concluded them all in unbelief, uh, that he may be merciful to them. And in the Tyndale Bible, one of the first, you know, one of the early translations to English, he actually says, which I like, um, he has wrapped all the nations in unbelief. You know, that we're sort of in this cocoon that God is, is unraveling, you know, in a process by the Spirit to get us out of our well to our own judgments, to our own opinions. I liked what Amy said the other night, I think it was Amy, um, cast out the scoffer, that verse, you know. And the scoffer is the interpreter, and isn't that a great definition, you know? Because we really do experience reality through the lens of how we evaluate things, you know? Two people can go through objectively the same situation, and yet they come out with such totally different interpretations of it. And, you know, it really is important to cast out, you know, from your own uh, mental processes the scoffer, you know, that always has an interpretation, you know, of something. Yeah, this is how this person is. That's just, you know, you know, who's stuck to their own opinion. Um, I don't mean the scoffer. Other people, I'm talking about that, you know, in here. Uh, if you think of, you don't have to turn there. I'll just paraphrase it. But the, the parable of the talents is kind of a, a good illustration where the, the Lord departs, but he gives severally to to each of his servants, you know, according to their abilities. And, you know, he is gone and the various investments happen and they come to fruition. And when he comes back, the one says, you know, I feared. And so I put the talent in the earth. And he says, I knew you were a hard man. And, you know, it's a, it's a terrible, a terrible scripture that you, you could wind up being dealt with in accordance to some of the things that you've said <laughs> about God. Um, or the opinions that you've that you've held to. Um, there's a great, maybe if you'll indulge me, get one more uh, quote by C.S. Lewis that I really <coughs> like, if I can find it here. This is when he was, his wife had just passed away. And, you know, he was 
obviously in a terrible crisis. Thought I had it. But just grab here. He says, not that I am, I think, in much danger of ceasing to believe in God. The real danger is of coming to believe such dreadful things about him. Um, he says, the conclusion I dread is not, so there's no God after all, but so this is what God's really like. Deceive yourself no longer. You know, it's a terrible, a terrible thought, you know, it just, you read the parable of the talents, but like what C.S. Lewis is saying is just, you could totally see how that happens, you know. Um, the total disenfranchisement. If you're not, if you're not being reserved by the Lord, if the Lord is not reserving you unto himself, something will come by that just clobbers you, you know. You will just, I just sense the fragility of what we're doing here, you know. <laughs> the fragility of, of my own commitment, you know, because that's why, you know, it's not because of some assessment of other people. It's because I can look at my own heart and see, you know, just how untested certain things that I hold to are and, and the uncertainty of, you know, what has the Lord really, really done that you would hold to? Um, and sometimes the Lord, you know, the Lord is working in ways and it kind of looks like he's doing the opposite of what he's doing. You know, we know that Jesus said, no man can come to the Father unless he's, he's drawn. But then you think about the story of like the unjust judge. Was God drawing that widow woman? Or the Samaritan woman who approached Jesus, he says, is it right to take the bread from the children and give it to dogs? Was he drawing her? I mean, they had an experience. So something happened. But I wouldn't necessarily, looking at it as, a, as an impartial third party, I wouldn't say, well, that was the drawing of God right there. And yet there was something that was happening in the spirit you know, the Lord equipped the people to have the right response, even though nothing about the circumstance looked like the drawing of God. And I think if, you know, if we're being kept by the power of God, it will be potentially in the teeth of circumstances that don't seem hospitable to the life of God. And yet, I think the example we have is, is Jesus, who, you know, it says when he was reviled, he didn't revile. And, says he committed his soul to him who judges righteously. And I do have one story, <clears throat> if we have time, about commitment. Uh, well, it sort of has to do with what I'm talking about, but it's also just a pretty interesting story, and I'll leave it to you to infer the parallels. It's the story of Henry Brown, and he gained the nickname Henry Box Brown, as we shall see. And Henry Brown was a slave. Uh, and in 1849, he began to, uh, this was, he was a slave on a plantation in Richmond, Virginia, just to add some details. So in 1849, he began to hatch a plan to escape. And in 1849, the US Postal Service had just kind of gotten established to where you could send packages and things all over the nation. So Henry Brown came up with the idea of mailing himself in a package from Richmond, Virginia by rail um, to Philadelphia. So he made out his, 
you know, he, he went to the post office and he bought the appropriate postage to send a box that was three feet by two feet at two and a half feet in dimensions. And he folded himself into this box. First, he remembered to write on it this side up. Um, he said, this side up, there's actually a picture of the box. This side up, please take care. And which is seen by expediters as more of a gentle hint and not as a, it's like an idea of something you could do um, and not like it's something that you must do. I mean, I've been an expediter too, so I can't exactly totally say that if there was a human in some of my boxes that they would have done so well. But anyways, he did say that he spent a lot of time upside down because people decided not to follow his instructions that he'd written on the box. And then he said, he actually said he thought he was going to die at one point. He'd been upside down so long that he was like in and out of consciousness. And he said that two men came by and they wanted a place to sit and they threw his box down and sat on it and he was so happy. Um, anyways, <laughs> so when he gets out, I thought this was funny. There's this, this song that he sang. Well, he got out and the, the three abolitionists to whom he had mailed himself were there and he said, hello, gentlemen. And then there's this long song, which I'll read to you. And it says, this is a song sung by Mr. Brown on being removed from his box. It's sort of derived from Psalm 40. But he says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he in kindness to me heard my calling. He must have been working on this during the 27 hours on the train. He hath put a new song into my mouth, even thanksgiving, even thanksgiving unto our God. Blessed, blessed is the man that has set his hope, his hope in the Lord. O Lord my God, great, great is the wondrous work which thou hast done. If I should declare them and speak of them, they would be more than I am able to express. I have not kept back thy love and kindness and truth from the great congregation. Withdraw not thou thy mercies from me. Let thy love and kindness and thy truth always preserve me. Let all those that seek thee be joyful and glad, be joyful and glad. And let such as love thy salvation say always, say always, the Lord be praised, the Lord be praised. Pretty good stuff for being stuck in a box. So, amen. with um, the children of Israel if we relegate them to some abnormality. Um, I'd like to read a scripture that I've always liked. It's quite a story. 
I mean, even, whether it fits in the word or not, it's quite a story. I mean, I think perhaps we all made the, the bridge, the guy's commitment to be free. Um, but in Numbers chapter 9, um, you don't have to turn if you don't want, or you can. Um, but it says in verse 15, On the day that the tabernacle was reared up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, namely the tent of the testimony. And at even, even time, there was a, upon the tabernacle, as it were, the appearance of fire until the morning. So it was always, the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Verse 17, when the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, then after that, the children of Israel journeyed, and in the place where the cloud abode, there the children of Israel pitched their tents. 18, at the commandment of the Lord, the children of Israel journeyed, and at the commandment of the Lord they pitched. As long as the cloud abode upon the tabernacle, they rested in their tents. 19, and when the cloud tarried long upon the tabernacle many days, then the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and journeyed not. And so it was, when the cloud was a few days upon the tabernacle, according to the commandment of the Lord, they abode in their tents, and according to the commandment of the Lord, they journeyed. 21. And so it was, when the cloud abode from even unto the morning, and that the cloud was taken up in the morning, then they journeyed. Whether it was by day or by night that the cloud was taken up, they journeyed. 22. Or whether it were two days or a month or a year that the cloud tarried upon the tabernacle remaining thereon, the children of Israel abode in their tents and journeyed not. But when it was taken up, they journeyed. At the commandment of the Lord, they rested in their tents. At the commandment of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. So that gives us a picture of actually what life was like there. That if the cloud lifted, <laughs> it's time to pack up. If the cloud didn't lift, they sat and waited and rested. Whether it was a day, a few days, a month, a year, two years, I mean, like I don't, I don't, um, I wonder what that would produce in their hearts after a while, because perhaps it was inconvenient at times. I'm just, I don't want to overstate, but I'm projecting that perhaps it didn't fit in with their own timetable. Perhaps it was too short, perhaps it was too fast, perhaps it was too long. And I don't know if perhaps we can all make that bridge this morning, that there are things in our lives that, oh my God, I can't deal with this. It has come upon me. And then there are other things that we can't seem to get rid of. And all of it was for one thing, and, and I've been thinking about this, that everything that happens in our lives is really for purpose, for the purpose of God to be established in our hearts. Everything that happens. And so the one thing was, <laughs> in that period of time, did they trust the Lord? That's what was being worked. Three days, can I trust him? Okay, let's go, let's wrap up. Maybe at the beginning they were good at it. I, I don't know, you know, this, the newness of stuff. Did you ever, I don't know, I was talking to, I think I was talking to Shia, 
But Joe Latour and I were talking, we walked every morning in Bowen's Mill, and we were talking about stuff, and we remember, and, and this is funny, um, but he plays a guitar, and actually I did play the guitar privately um, in my life, which was smart. That was one of the smarter things I did, was I played privately. But I would have just phenomenal times of praise with my guitar, where I felt the presence of God just, I can't tell you how many times, and, and a couple in particular, where I just was sobbing because of the presence of God and the cleansing and things he brought me back to and washings. And, and so that was, uh, uh, that was probably maybe 40 years ago, I don't know, 35, 40 years ago, before I came here. Um, and I don't know when it changed. It just seems as though the transition after a while, as time went on, now we sit in a in a praise service, and and um, Joe and I were at Blueberry sitting in the praise service or standing praising, and we knew it was winding down, and we knew there was a fifty percent chance that one of us was going to have to speak. <laughs> and um, and I said, "What do you want to do?" I don't know. <laughs> because we were both nervous. And right at the end, the last song they sang fit in with Joe's word. Joe said, they sang that song, I can preach. In Bowen's Mill uh, this last time, um, I had a, a sick feeling in my stomach that I might have to speak Wednesday night, the first night. And it is a sick feeling. It's not like a, a warm feeling. It was a sick feeling. And you say, well, that's silly. You preach all the time. Well, sorry. I am still silly. And they're not butterflies. They're, they're worms, maybe. But no, not butterflies. And Bill had announced he wasn't preaching at the house. You know, he's not, and he likes to preach first. So generally, I'm happy to sit and let him go first. And, we used to love Buddy. Buddy always was ready to go first or second or third or fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth. Yeah. Um, we used to complain, but boy, we missed it when he was gone. Um, and anyway, I knew nobody was preaching and the praise ended. And, and I didn't know what I would say if I had to get up. And that's an awful feeling. Whether it's three days or a month or a year. And um, Bill got up to just welcome everybody, and he said one thing, and I could preach. It was this big. I almost needed, well, I needed these on to see it. You know, I just think that this progressive trust is something that God's working deep in our hearts so that regardless of the situation, that trust must grow. So, though I don't get flooded, perhaps like I used to, I don't mean, God, you don't sense the presence of God, Some, sometimes you do, you know, I don't mean it never happens, I just mean, generally speaking, uh, you don't, as you grow, <laughs> you don't get what you think you have to have always. And, and yet God is still working to put that trust deep, deep, deep in our hearts so that regardless, 
of the circumstance. You know, Sam said those, the Syrophoenician woman, and maybe another example, it didn't look like God was drawing. But on, on the opposite way, if you look at this, and I think he said this too, it shows you how strong the power of God is to draw us when everything else is contrary to it. Because God uses the hostility of the world, the hostility of our flesh, the hostility of our soul, the hostility of our emotions, of our will. The hostility of my will is, that is a mountain. The hostility of my analysis is a mountain. And the reason those examples are in there is that the power of God to draw us unto himself is stronger than all the hostility. And what does it take? It takes every day, <laughs> Lord, here I am again. I don't know, I, I'd like something big, but I'm okay with just something little. And even if I don't feel anything right at this moment, because sometimes the spirit, I'm struck with the scripture recently, and if I was gonna say something the other night, we had a topic, you know, was cast all your burdens on the Lord. That's in the Bible. You can look it up. I think it's First Peter, chapter five. It says, "Cast all your care." It means burdens. It means anxiety. It means distraction. It means a lot of stuff. All. It doesn't mean that you are immediate relief, immediately relieved, but it does mean that um, you are saying, "Lord." <laughs> I can't walk around with this. I don't know what you got in mind. But, you know, it's been my experience that even if there isn't an immediacy that the Holy Spirit moves, the Holy Spirit has maybe a bigger plan that's better. That's working something in you that there's no other way it could get deep. So that your trust is deep, rooted. I'd love to read about Abraham, but boy, there's a lot of chapters be before he brought Isaac up that mountain. Without so much as seemingly a peep. I wish there was a few peeps in there. I haven't found one. I looked at all the commentary, honestly, I've investigated, trying to justify my peeps. <laughs> so, Lord help us, as this process of trust, belief is growing. And, you know, I'd like it all done in one day. Maybe we could finish that today. It just might be a few days, might be a month, and it could be a year or two years. Only the Spirit of God can perform it. So, so thank you, Sam. <laughs>